0: Hi, this is Mark Oppenheimer. I am Director of Open Learning at American Jewish University and I am back with another episode of The Syllabus. The Syllabus is a relatively new podcast about politics on campus. We talk about the stuff that students and faculty are talking about, Middle East, Affirmative Action, Title IX, and much more. Today, I am super pleased to bring you an interview I recently did with David French. David is a terrific op-ed columnist for the New York Times, whether you agree with him or vehemently disagree, and there are days on which I do either or both, he's a pleasure to read. He's a lawyer, an army veteran, and an evangelical Christian. He's also a nice guy, and he recently wrote a column about what he sees as the rot inside Christian colleges. I asked him on the syllabus to talk about it. David French, thank you for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to read your stuff. Good to talk with you. You have recently written in The New York Times a piece that got this headline. And I know that writers don't write the headlines, (laughs) but I'm going to ask if you'll stand by it anyway. This is from October 22nd. It was your op-ed column. The worst scandal in American higher education isn't in the Ivy League. Uh, Fair depiction of the argument you make about Liberty University?
1: Not only is it fair, that's my headline. I suggested it. (laughs) So <laughs> that,
0: that, It's so rare that the copy desk takes writers' suggestions for the headlines. Way to go. So you're right in the third paragraph, I'd argue that the moral collapse at Liberty University in Virginia may well be the most consequential education scandal in the United States, not simply because the details themselves are shocking and appalling, but because Liberty's misconduct both symbolizes and contributes to the crisis engulfing Christian America. It embodies a cultural and political approach that turns Christian theology on its head. For those listeners who don't know, could you tell us what the moral collapse at Liberty University in Virginia is?
1: How much time you got, Mark? <laughs> <laughs> because one of the interesting aspects of the essay was that I'm still receiving emails who are saying, you didn't fully describe problems at, at Liberty. Well, this is a column that goes in a print. There there are still print newspapers these days, so it didn't have unlimited amount of space. But I would basically put it like this. The the trigger for the column was the news that came out that the U.S. Education Department is considering the largest fine by far in the history of the Clery Act. Now, the Clery Act is this federal law that requires educational institutions receiving federal funding to accurately report crime statistics, among other things. And there was a report that was leaked to the Washington Post last month where Liberty had failed its Clery Act obligations systematically for years. Here is the Washington Post reporter put it like this, that the report paints a picture of a university that discouraged people from reporting crimes underreported the claims it received, and meanwhile marketed its Virginia campus as one of the safest in the country. And the details are just really bad. For example, Liberty failed to warn the campus community about gas leaks, bomb threats, people credibly accused of repeated acts of sexual violence, including a senior administrator and an athlete. There's evidence that Liberty destroyed evidence. And a campus safety consultant described the report as the single most blistering Clary report I have read ever. Now, that would be, Mark, bad enough. But what we also have as pe- a lot of people who followed sort of the controversies and, and scandals around the Trump world. Jerry Falwell Jr., one of his first former president of Liberty, one of his first uh, evangelical endorsers, was forced to resign after sexual misconduct allegations came out involving him, his wife, and a pool boy turned business associate. So then Falwell's ushered out. So what does he do? He sues Liberty, files this incredibly scorching amended complaint, saying that high-ranking Liberty officers and board members had also committed acts of sexual (laughs) misconduct, had committed financial misconduct, and were still there. And then also, Mark, in 2021, ProPublica published this incredibly comprehensive report about the ways in which mainly young women who were reporting sexual assault and sexual misconduct were horribly mistreated by the university, including through being warned that elements of their story about the assaults that were committed on them, that their story could be used against them in disciplinary proceedings under what's called the Liberty Way, which prohibits students from engaging in extramarital sexual activity, for example, prohibits students from drinking, things like this. And so it's just a colossal mess. And That's not everything. It's just a horrible series of scandals that have unfolded over a a period of several years.
0: So when my secular, liberal, and anti-religious or skeptical friends hear stories like this, they jump to the conclusion that Christians are hypocrites or liars. (laughs) And what's more, that Christians, rather than being better, are worse— And then I always rush to point out that I don't think that any serious Christian claims that being Christian makes anyone better. And so that's a kind of unfair test to impose, that people don't say become a Christian because then all of a sudden you'll be more ethical. That's a kind of kindergarten level analysis of what Christianity is. So I don't think that's fair. I certainly don't expect Liberty University to be better or much worse than the average university in terms of its ethics. But there is something special going on here for Christians. And I'm not a Christian, but you are. Yeah. What's the problem for what this does say about the internal life of American Christianity?
1: Yeah, this is,
0: I'm glad you framed the question like that because
1: it is not the case that Christians say, if you understand Christianity, you don't say that my identity as a Christian makes me a better person. Because in fact, part of the process of becoming a Christian is acknowledging your sinfulness. Like that's an indispensable element of it all. But it is absolutely the case though, that if you read scripture, that there is a high moral call on Christians in the Christian Church, a very high moral call, and that there are ways in which we are supposed to live that are so more—they're so morally demanding that they're quite morally difficult. <laughs> so, for example, love your enemies, bless those who persecute you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. I mean, these are hard things. And not a lot of people think I need to love my enemies, for example. I need to actually pray for those or bless those who persecute me. That's a high moral call. And then what's interesting, though, in the context of that high moral call, the Apostle Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians says this really interesting thing that a lot of Christians forget, which is, hey, I'm not asking you to not associate with sinful people that are outside the church, because if my command to you was that you should withdraw and not associate with sinful people outside the church, you'd have to leave this world. But what I am telling you is you need to draw the line inside the church. You need to understand that inside the church, we have high demands for conduct. And this is the way it's phrased. And he says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside, but expel the wicked person from among you. And so my argument is that why is liberty so symptomatic of the problem in American evangelical Christianity is that American evangelical Christianity is getting this backwards. It is extremely judgmental of people outside the church and extremely tolerant of misconduct inside it. And part of this is because the way in which evangelicalism has become so politicized and is so taught that you're under siege from a hostile outside world. And so therefore, there's a lot of sort of circle the wagons mentality in the evangelical church. And people will get mad at me, for example, For pointing out what Liberty did because they say, well, this is going to undermine sort of the cohesion of the church. It's going to undermine the reputation of the church to people, just like you were describing, Mark, like people will read this and feel vindicated in their critiques Mm -hmm. of Christianity. But our concern for our public reputation should not lead us to deny or minimize or rationalize or excuse our own misconduct, because that's exactly the opposite Of the biblical frame. We are to impose those high calls on uh, that high calling on ourselves and to emphasize and to be outraged when we fail, not when other people are not part of our theology or or worldview
0: do things that we consider to be wrong. Friends, I just want to take a break to remind you that this podcast is a joint production of American Jewish University and InsideHigherEd.com. I work for AJU's Office of Open Learning, and we offer a lot of cool online classes and lectures. I invite you to check us out at aju.edu open. That's aju.edu open to learn more about American Jewish University's open classes. And InsideHigherEd.com, our partner, brings you the latest news from Inside Higher Education, news stories, job openings, opinion pieces, and much more go to insidehighered.com. All right, back to our interview with David French. Liberty, of course, is a little bit special in that it seems that it has been a cult of personality, (laughs) a bit of a (laughs) a a monarchy, first under the first Falwell and then under Falwell Fils, (laughs) Père et Fils, right? The the dad and the son. Dad handed down to son, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's not the normal polity of a university, right? At Yale or Notre Dame or UC Berkeley or no, 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 no. or Wheaton College I don't think or no, lots no, no. of places. You don't inherit it from dad. So I imagine that part of it is that corruption seeps in when there's a, a massive ne- it's not even a, they don't even think of it as a nepotism problem. I think for them it's probably a feature, not a bug. <laughs> yeah. But what do you do if you're running a Christian college to start reversing this, the flywheel and spinning in a good direction? Is it a matter of fixing the administration, the polity? Is it a matter of certain covenants that people sign or, or aren't forced to sign? How do you make this better?
1: Well, there are a lot of Christian colleges that do this the right way. Not Liberty is, in many, is either the biggest or second biggest of all the Christian colleges once you consider its incredible online reach. I think it has a roughly 130,000 students it's educating right now, which is an extraordinary number. So- The Christian colleges that do it well, number one, as a matter of theology, they get it right. So they say, well, we are imposing this high call on ourselves, right? So as a matter of theology, they get the main thing. Then as a matter of governance, they have a real board that actually holds leaders accountable. They do not treat the university like some sort of medieval monarchy (laughs) where it's handed down from father to son. So you have, a, you have a viable, independent board. You have a clear theological mission. And then in the bottom line is, there's just no substitute for personal integrity. You can take the best board and the best bylaws and the best theology, but if you have a bad president, they can run amok for a while until the systems of accountability set in. But there are a lot of Christian institutions that do not falter, especially in a higher education, that do not falter the way liberty has. But the one thing, Mark... The way liberty is run around this kind of cult of personality or the way it was run around a cult of personality for years and years is not at all unusual in Christian institutions, not at all. And in fact, that's one of the reasons for a lot of dysfunction in evangelicalism. Cults of personality are just super common. So you you can find institutions all over American Christendom where it's a cult of personality it's a close board with full of family members or people who just mainly join the board because they want to be close to the to to the famous man or they want to be affiliated with the famous man and this is a real huge problem and when we've had these cults of personality again and again you could talk about so mark driscoll this mega church in seattle or Joe White, this mega of Christian camp in Missouri, or Ravi Zacharias, this one of the most famous Christian apologists in the United States, they build up these institutions. And essentially, after a time, the institutions exist to serve them. Right. And in some of those cases, like Ravi Zacharias was engaged in there's overwhelming evidence he was engaged in systematic sexual abuse. Joe White at Cannicut camps ignored the most blatant and horrible red flags you can imagine. And ultimately it not only enabled horrific sexual abuse by ignoring these red flags, but then was a part of covering it up after it was all over.
0: As somebody who knows Jewish spaces very well, there's there, this happens in Jewish spaces as well. There are parts of the Jewish world where there's a lot of nepotism and that can contribute to exactly the kinds of corruption you're talking about where they're in rabbinic dynasties and in institutional dynasties. That said, this may be the dumbest question I've ever asked, or it might be a pretty smart one. <laughs> Is part of the reason that Christian institutions in their cases are susceptible to cults of personality because Christianity was in fact <laughs> a cult of personality so, start with it being about Jesus in a way that Judaism was never about one person. Are you setting yourself up for a kind of receptivity to the Christ figure? I don't
1: think so. I, so what is happening in evangelicalism does not necessarily have its analogs in Catholicism, orthodoxy or mainline mm-hmm. Protestantism. So. Some of what is happening is actually due to the quirks of American evangelicalism. So if you 're a Catholic, I'm not going to say that there aren't sometimes cults of personality in Catholicism. I mean, every single human movement right. ever is, is susceptible. But when you're part of Catholicism, for good and ill, you're a part of a longer, a much larger what, almost 2000 year historical stream that includes a comprehensive hierarchy. And so there is, it is not like evangelicalism, which is extremely fragmented and incredibly entrepreneurial. <laughs> so if I wanted to, I could tomorrow go rent a space in a storefront, like in a strip mall, call it. Dave's um, church. Um, escalation church or some hippy dippy (laughs) word. And then I have a church, right? And if people want to come, they could come and it's my church. And if I'm particularly, say I'm a particularly good speaker or preacher or say something that catches people's attention, then people will flock to that place because of the founder. And so on the one hand, some of that entrepreneurial sort of independent mindedness of evangelicalism has been a source of strength. It's very adaptable, depending on place and, and culture, and it's also a source of profound weakness because mm-hmm. it is so often, and churches are so often organized around the personality of the pastor. Whereas that's not something that my Catholic and Orthodox friends—it's not the same. It's not right. the same dynamic, and and in the mainline, I really have not seen many true cults of personality. Now, of course, again. They're out there, they exist, it does happen, but it's just not the same culture in many ways. Final question. I have a senior in high school.
0: Where on earth should I send my daughter to college?
1: <laughs> I have, my oldest daughter is about to start law school, so she's out of college. My son okay. is a senior in college at UC Santa Cruz. and Home then the my Fighting young, Banana Slugs. The Fighting Banana Slugs. And my youngest yeah. is a high school freshman. So I have a kid out of college, a kid in college, and a kid still right. in high school. Look, my advice to parents is really pretty simple when it comes to college go where your child will thrive as a person. But I think a lot of people, this is diverging from the scandal mindset, but I think a lot of people took too much emphasis on college as a credentialing institution and too little emphasis on college as a formation institution. And Mm -hmm. so there's an enormous amount of time, energy, effort, and attention put into can i get my kid into the best school which is a different analysis from saying will my kid go to the best school for them and that's not a cookie cutter thing there's not a formula for that you got to know your kid and and for example my son transferred from the university of tennessee to uc santa cruz because ut was not a good fit for him my daughter graduated from the university of tennessee cuz it was fine for her and I just think we oversimplify this in many ways by saying, well, I just do best school I can get into because we overweight the credentialing of undergrad and underappreciate the sort of the formation element of undergrad.
0: David French of The New York Times and of so much more. Thank you for being a guest on The Syllabus. Thanks for having me. Friends, this has been The Syllabus, a production of American Jewish University and InsideHigherEd.com. Before you do anything else today, before you walk the dog, before you have your mid-morning coffee and donut, before you take your kids to school or pick them up, would you please subscribe to this podcast? And also give us a rating on the podcast platform of your choice, because then it gets into those sneaky algorithms and helps other people who might enjoy our podcast find it. So see it as an act of of goodwill in the world. You're helping podcast listeners find their way to premium product. We welcome email and replies. You can send us voice memos or letters to the editor. Send those notes and voice memos to me, Mark Oppenheimer at mark.oppenheimer at aju.edu. I would especially love suggestions for future guests. Our team includes editor Jacob Kaufman, producer Alyssa Silva, and Sherry Hirely, Tessa Grasso, and Amelia Hamill. At Inside Higher Ed, we owe big thanks to Doug Letterman. Next time on The Syllabus, we will welcome Robert Vitalis from the University of Pennsylvania, who will talk about Palestinian rights on campus. This has been The Syllabus.